Hello, a quick note about today's episode. We had some audio issues during recording that we could not fully fix. We want to apologize earnestly and profusely for the sound quality. We hope that you'll still listen to the full episode as we poured our hearts into it and we have a wonderful special guest. We promise to clean up the issue for future episodes. Thank you so much for listening, whether this is your first time or your hundredth time. Hello, welcome to the Rogue Tours podcast. My name is... Chad Durham and Jake Hampton, and we are uh, thrilled to have uh, Creston Erickson here with us today as a special guest. Uh, he and I probably for the last 10 or so years have, have talked pop culture a fair amount, and uh, he's a big Taika Waititi fan, so we're really uh, grateful to have him. Hey, everybody. Big fan of the podcast. Happy to be here. Yes. Long time listener. First time, just like we said with Colton. All right, uh, but we're pumped to talk to you uh, about Taika Waititi. This is the first time that we're saying these things to one another. Um, Taika Waititi has been uh, ubiquitous in the last little bit. Um, he's become very popular um, at, at both in people's movies as a writer, as a director. Um, and so we thought with Thor Love and Thunder uh, having come out um, just a little while back that um, we would talk a little bit about Taika Waititi and his career and culminate in sharing our three favorite Taika Waititi directed movies. So to start out, we're just, I'm going to run down the movies that he has made and we're going to talk a little bit about um, both if he's evolved as a filmmaker, if we feel like he's gotten better through the years and we've seen that in those movies, as well as some of the things that uh, he that we see a lot in his style, things that are trademarked. Taika Waititi thing, and if there's and if there's anything maybe that we don't like as well about some of the things that he does. So as far as directing and writing, because he's written I think every single movie that he has directed, uh, he made the movie Eagle versus Shark in 2007, which is kind of like a, a silly romantic comedy starring Jemaine Clement uh, or Clement, however you say his last name. He made Boy in 2010, which has some autobiographical uh, things from his life. He made What We Do in the Shadows in 2014, which is like a vampire mockumentary that became a TV show that's currently on. He made The Hunt for the Wilder People in 2016, which I think is the thing that brought him into a little more mainstream um, and also uh, at least partially contributed, even though you know it hadn't come out yet when he got the job, to him getting the job to write and direct Thor Ragnarok, which came out in 2017. In 2019, he wrote and directed Jojo Rabbit, which he won a, an Oscar for, for Best Adapted Screenplay. It also had five other Oscar nominations, Best Picture, Best Costume Design, Best Editing, um, Best Production Design, and then Best Supporting Actress for Scarlett Johansson. And then finally, just a few months ago, Thor Love and Thunder, the second Thor movie that he made, the fourth Thor movie overall, came out not uh, quite as critically acclaimed as... Um, uh, Ragnarok, but still with that kind of trademark Taika Waititi sensibility. So uh, what are some of those trademark things, guys? And also, what have you seen as like the evolution, if there is any, of Taika Waititi? A trademark for me and something I love about his movies is his unique perspective and sensibility. He's from New Zealand. He's Maori. Um, and I guess there's Peter Jackson, but there's not like a ton of big New Zealand directors, and there's not really any Polynesian directors that I that are as big as, as he is, 
So that like Kiwi spirit, you know, that New Zealand spirit is is huge for me. Um, and I think you can really sense that every time he's involved with the project, you know, from a writing or directing perspective. Yeah, and that's if uh, most of his movies are populated with other Kiwis or other New Zealanders. House is a big one. Um, Jermaine Clement. They, they like went to school together too, which I, I read, which is kind of fun. Um, Darby, who's in um, Our Flag Means Death right now, and um, was Crazy Sam, I think is his name, and Hunt for the Wilder People. <laughs> Werewolves and What We Do in the Shadows. So just that kind of, I love how like small and interconnected that New Zealand universe is. Yeah, and he some of those connections with Fight of the Concords as well, with Jermaine and Reese Darby. Um, and then Rachel House, yeah, she's in almost all of them. Not the last couple. Um, I heard somewhere that she had a she got a scene cut in Jojo Rabbit. Is that right, Kristen? Yeah, I think she had like a, a scene that you know didn't end up making the final movie, but I think she was still involved in the in the project. Yeah, yeah. No, she and she's really funny. I love I loved when I saw her in Ragnarok, having at that point seen a few of the other Taika Waititi things. Like I was like, oh, I love that that, that she's. And then when I went back and watched Eagle vs. Shark and Boy, which I hadn't seen, I was like, oh, yeah, there she is. Like, she's, she's fun. Um, yeah, so that's awesome. And then humor-wise, we talked a lot about humor-wise uh, before we started and other times. What, what are some of the humor things that you, you kind of see, Jake, from Taika Waititi's projects as a writer and a director? Yeah, um, there, there's definitely an element of quirkiness to all of his movies. And I was actually just now thinking, actually just now, not even, didn't think of or. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, for real, I the, like most of the, the directors out there who have kind of clout, their name is known, they're known for a specific thing, it, they're almost always uh, drama focused, right? Like your, your Spielbergs, your Nolans, um, you know, any director with style, it's pretty rare that we see a comedy focused director. And I would, I would pretty much call Taika a comedy focused director where all of his movies I would say at least you know 50% of their DNA has comedy <laughs> um, and and one of the great spins on that though I think is that he isn't afraid to hit more dramatic beats um, and I think he'll he'll stay away from doing what a lot of comedy writers and directors do which is always you know put a punchline at the end of a, a dramatic beat but he doesn't do that he'll he'll let dramatic moments breathe and be more serious so I think he hits that balance between the two really well um, but the comedy that is there, super quirky. Um, I mentioned uh, <laughs> previously um, that it's Jared Hess adjacent. It feels kind of like, um, you know, the Napoleon Dynamite style in a way where you have weird people saying and doing weird things um, and a lot of awkwardness that ensues because of that. But uh, that's not to say that he's a, a Jared Hess copycat or even inspired. I think it's just a good kind of way to describe it to people who might not have experienced his humor before. Nice. Yeah, that's something when I was looking at the reviews of um, Eagle vs. Shark, and they talked about uh, Richard Roper was saying, like, this is just Napoleon Dynamite. And I, like, I didn't necessarily feel it was that way, um, but you see some of those similar sensibilities. And then Creston mentioned earlier um, a great phrase that I took note of, so I'm, I'm just stealing it, which is that it's, uh, and he finds ways to be understated and silly at the same time, because silliness usually indicates over the top or, you know, uh, in your face, but somehow he finds understated and silly that same style balance. Yeah, I, I sometimes like relate it to like, like 
British humor. I know a lot of times like British humor will be less obvious than American humor, and I think the New Zealand humor is some, somewhere in between that, but its own kind of fresh... It has its own fresh corner as well. And I, I think that there's like a freshness to his humor, and that just... It doesn't feel like anybody else, and I, I, I really appreciate that for him. I appreciate that from him, and I think that's what makes part of it, his movie so enjoyable for me. Nice. Humor was as one of the reasons that everybody loved Thor Ragnarok so much. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily say that, uh, per se, that Thor Ragnarok was any sort of evolution for him, other than balancing more blockbuster filmmaking with that traditional, his traditional, excuse me, his uh, characteristic humor and kiwiness and imbuing that into the Marvel machine. Um, and, and then I, I thought, and, and I know because we've talked before and maybe lost a recording before, I thought that uh, Jojo Rabbit and Thor Love and Thunder signified a, a jump up in his directorial style. He's always had the good sensibility for the writing and he's always been a, a, an interesting director. Um, but for me, especially having just rewatched Jojo Rabbit and then recently watched Thor Love and Thunder, was the first time I found myself noticing um, camera things. Uh, besides, obviously, uh, uh, something that was brought up in an earlier chat uh, was the music cues. He's really good with choosing like quirky music, interesting music that actually fits really well. Uh, doesn't fully draw your attention to it in a way where you're like, what's going on? But where you go, oh, wow, that was a really apt choice. But as far as like cinematography-wise and visually, uh, for me, it was once he hit Jojo Rabbit, um, he, there's been a lot more creativity there in, in the visual style, which I know isn't necessarily agreed with everybody here, but, but was something for me where I was like, oh, wow, we're... Now it's not just oh what an like what an interesting storyteller only, but also there's a style here that moves above and beyond um, function, at least for me. A theme of his I also am always looking for is yeah he's an indigenous um, filmmaker he's Maori I'm always looking for those themes of indigeneity in his movies and I, I appreciate that even as he's grown. As a filmmaker and has been involved with larger projects, he, he maintains that. So, like in Thor Ragnarok, he's still talking about colonialism. Maybe not as, you know, not handling it in like a very serious or even a very um, dramatic way, but still talking about, you know, Thor kind of coming to terms with the past of Asgard. And um, he's often dealing with, you know, groups that are considered other, like um, Jojo. Um, Jojo Rabbit deals with Nazi Germany and. Um, everything that was going on during that time, what we do in the shadows deals with the the vampires, you know, boy and hunt for the wilder people have um, Maori main characters. So I think that's a, another unique perspective he has. And um, I had this quote from his Oscar acceptance speech, which I, which I think is really cool. And I I didn't mention this earlier when we were talking, but I think he's only the second um, indigenous person to ever win an Oscar. I can't remember who the first is, um, but in the first ever to win, was it Best Adapted Screen? Best Adapted Screen. The first, first indigenous person ever to win that award, which is, is very cool. But he, uh, in his Oscar acceptance speech for Jojo Rabbit, he says, you know, talking about indigenous people, we are the original storytellers, and he dedicated the award to all the indigenous kids um, in the world that, who want to do art and dance and write stories. 
So I think he draws from that that long tradition, and I, I don't know, there's something like that feels about like sitting around the campfire and just being drawn in by somebody telling a really moving story. I, I, I feel that from him when I watch his movies. Nice. Is there anything you guys feel like has become like an annoying thing that he does? Because the majority of his movies are fairly critically acclaimed. And maybe I, if I'm throwing that a word, that phrase around, excuse me, too casually, if you look at Rotten Tomatoes, uh, which I know isn't the be all end all, but only Eagle versus Shark, his very first movie in 2007, which he uh, came up with a story with the, the main actress, whose name is Lauren Horsley, um, got 56%, and every other one has been above the 60% threshold, although Love and Thunder, only 65%. So critically, people have been very kind. Is there anything that you feel like is can be annoying, or is it like, no, it's always so warm and inviting that... You know, I'm always there for even kind of the repeat silly humor or the, or the, uh, earlier we talked about how the accents are fantastic. I, I was sad not to have them in Jojo Rabbit when I rewatched that recently because I'm so used to that. Anything that could, could eventually get annoying or is it just like, no, full speed ahead. I'm always going to be there. Um, a, a common criticism I noticed between his two, I guess, most recent movies, which have also been his most divisive, um, critically at least, um, is... The juggling of tones, because even though I know I just praised him for saying like he doesn't feel a need to always put in um, punchlines at the end of serious moments to keep his movies as pure comedies, I think some people can feel kind of put off, especially in Jojo Rabbit, right, by uh, having such um, hefty subject matter, but sprinkling comedy into it where some people feel like that's now, you know, trivial, uh, trivializing um, those events or... Um, not taking them seriously enough. And so I'm not saying this is necessarily my camp, but I, I can see um, maybe where people are coming from or maybe that that's what some people will get tired about is if he keeps pushing, I guess these, I don't know if they're boundaries, but more just like how can he create kind of a mix of comedy and serious moments in, in movies that are tackling really serious things. I know in Thor Love and Thunder, that criticism came more from like Natalie Portman's character's storyline involving cancer, where you're just kind of bouncing from that to a scene of just like people talking and, and cracking jokes with each other. Um, so maybe those things don't work for everybody. Maybe that would be the thing that people start to over time get fatigue of and say like, oh, he can't, he can't take a movie seriously or something like that. But for me overall, it, it works and I appreciate the effort to, to see if he can make it work with these different kind of uh, subjects. Yeah, it was interesting that you brought up Natalie Portman just because I had always heard it with the Christian Bale storyline because okay. he's so serious mm -hmm. and he's like, I don't think he has very many humorous moments, meaning Christian Bale. Mm -hmm. um, that most most of the time I saw the criticism levied was like, he's like in a totally different movie, Christian Bale. Right. That's the serious movie about him. Know, losing his, his kid and stuff and then there's this other Ragnarok movie going on at the same time but it's from again it's a tribute to him that there are all these different serious things and mm -hmm. he's still I know I know that opening scene where Gore Christian Bale goes to see like the gods I, I heard a lot of I should say a few people who said like oh yeah that was like so incongruous because it's like him and it's black and white and then he goes and the gods all Woo right. you know and you but again he was trying to make a point there too about kind of tweaking the gods once more. Yeah. If there's anything I see people maybe getting frustrated with him about, or maybe we're already seeing that, is, is that humor and the fact that he 
doesn't necessarily take things as seriously as I think some people would want him to, especially maybe more like passionate fan bases like maybe Marvel or Star Wars, which we'll talk more about later. I don't think he's always going to deal with it as reverently as some people want and would ex- and it would hope. Um, for me personally, I you know I just eat up everything that he's been putting out. So I'm not I, I don't feel myself getting personally annoyed at the humor, and I, I hope he he sticks with that. Um, but yeah, I'm totally with Jake. If, if I could see one specific thing people would start to weary of, it would be that. Yeah, well, and I think I think it'd be okay to briefly talk about Star Wars, because um, you had mentioned earlier, um, here and earlier, that there's a very passionate fan base, mm-hmm. um, and that and and we had talked about how Ryan Johnson was a victim of that because I, I am very high on the Last Jedi. And feel like I know this sounds terrible, but that it was a little bit about a little bit of like casting pearls before <laughs> where Ryan Johnson had like elevated the filmmaking that we normally see in a Star Wars movie. There are some great Star Wars movies. I'm not slandering them. I like Star Wars, but he had elevated it as far as storytelling. Let's break out of the same way we always tell the stories here, and let's let's actually shoot this like it's a movie. And a lot of passionate people. Passionate Star Wars fans have taken him to task for that, um, and you could see that happening with Take Away TD a bit. Yeah, I, 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 I feel mean saying this because I am a Star Wars fan, but I feel like Star Wars fans don't really deserve Taika Waititi in, in some ways. I don't feel like Star Wars fans really deserve Ryan Johnson, and so I think casting pearls before swine is, is fair because if you know we were because if we were to get a Taika Waititi Star Wars project, which is still kind of up. Yeah, I mean it's in IMDb, and yeah. they say it's going to happen. Release date or anything? I don't think so. I, I maybe it's not like 2025. On okay. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Right. Right. It's theoretical. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple scenarios I can imagine. One is that it he's reined in a lot, and it's like more traditional what we expect from Star Wars, and then, you know, I'm disappointed because I want to see his take on that universe, but then maybe Star Wars fans are happy because they get what they what what they want or what they expect. So that's like a win for some, lose for others, but, you know, another scenario is he just goes completely, you know, full Taika and does whatever he wants, and, you know, the movie is just completely full of his sensibilities. You... A lot of angry Star Wars fans, and I'd be happy, but so then there's you know, people still there's still like a win lose scenario there. So, I in his the future of his career, I'd love to see him get more involved with smaller projects. I love to see him involved with projects that deal with New Zealand, and I, I just think that specificity for him is is unique in Hollywood. He has, a, I think, a different voice than a lot of people, and so when he gets involved with these large franchises, I, I worry that we'll, we'll lose some of that originality and that um, just that unique perspective. So I really hope that if he does get involved with those projects, he's able to keep doing what he what he does best and what I, I love for him to do. But if he's not, I'd love to see him, you know, maybe make some smaller movies. I think that'd be nice. What was your take when he did um, direct the episode of The Mandalorian? Do we see some? Yeah. So we have, you know, John Favreau obviously is the creator of the show and and so he's kind of direct directing things at a larger scale but i, I think it was the finale that taika waititi directed and um 
he's also voicing IG Eleven, I think it is the the bounty hunter um, robot who also becomes like a nurse droid towards the end. Kind of fun. <laughs> In that last episode, uh, it still feels like the Mandalorian does o- overall. Like I don't think it has quite the same style that Taika would have if he was you know directing the whole thing. But there's that really fun scene at the beginning where the two stormtroopers are just like kind of hanging out and like doing target practice and they're they're missing everything and they're just like talking about stuff and you know those small moments where i feel like tyke is just encouraging the actors just to like try stuff and just you know kind of just like mess around um it was fun to see something that felt that fresh and just almost real in a in a star wars movie yeah uh, could a whole Star Wars movie like that's all of that would it would have worked? I don't know. Right, and we've seen it a little bit right with Marvel, because when he did do Thor Ragnarok and imbue it with a, a fair amount of his own sensibility, it was uh, wildly popular. Um, uh, many people consider it one of the top, you know, couple Marvel movies, and I think a lot of that was he didn't sand down too much with his sensibilities. You had a lot of in this analogy, you had a lot of that stormtrooper moment happening throughout all of Ragnarok and, and, and comic book, but still stay true, like he did in The Mandalorian, uh, to what a Marvel movie is supposed to be. And did not get a lot of pushback there. Um, although maybe we saw a little bit of that with Thor Love and Thunder when he got even wilder and, and as far as tone goes, wilder shifts, I guess, in tone. Nice. And he, uh, uh, Creston brought up The Mandalorian. He's been in a lot of stuff, too, uh, outside of his main movies. Our Flag Means Death, Fly the Concords, What We Do in the Shadows on TV. He was the villain in Free Guy uh, in Mandalorian. He's a voice in Lightyear, and, of course, he plays Korg in the two new Thor movies, as well as the Avengers movies that happened after Ragnarok. And then he's the co-creator of Reservation Dogs, uh, very critically acclaimed um, uh, uh, show that's just started its second season in the last he has a hand in many, many things um, because people like him. So overall, what do you guys want from him and what do you hope from him? I, uh, uh, Creston kind of talked about that already. So maybe Jake, yeah. similar things. It's like you're, you're a fan. Yeah. Uh, speaking. Um, I, pretty similar hopes. And, and really, it, to me, it's pretty encouraging to see Jojo Rabbit between the two Thor movies. I don't know the exact timeline on the production of all of those things, nor do I know for sure what led him to make Jojo Rabbit, but to me, kind of from the outside, it seems like that Jojo Rabbit was a project he just wanted to do because he wrote it and directed it, probably picked out that story to tell, and then did it. Uh, that's encouraging to me because what I don't want to see is for him to become someone that's just like commissioned for blockbusters like Marvel and Star Wars and to inject his flavor. Um, into whatever their latest thing is. But I feel like there's still a lot of constraints that come with those big franchises, and I, I'd rather see him be able to, to run free and do what he wants to. So as long as he's still feeling like he, I guess, has the time and the willpower to do projects that he wants to do from the ground up, um, that's what I want to see most from him and not just see him be used for his, his Taika. Yes. And when, when we look at IMDb, like he has things coming coming along, um, and uh, there, not necessarily a lot that's been announced. Uh, Jake mentioned it, there's a movie he has called Next Goal Wins that was completed a couple years ago, and they still don't know when it's going to come out. He has a movie based on the Tower of Terror ride at Disneyland, 
the Star Wars movie in the future, Akira, and then a movie called the In. It looks like the In Call or the In Cal, but I don't. I don't even know what you know what that means. But again, he has lots of things coming up. None of those listed have anything to do with Marvel. Obviously, there is the Star Wars one, but even that, like Jake mentioned earlier, has a pretty far date as far as when supposed to come out. No, no, Willy Wonka listed. Okay. Crescent and her. Yeah. Where I found that. Yeah, yeah, that he might be doing some Willy Wonka stuff. Yeah. So overall, um, if you if you don't know a lot of Taika Waititi other than the Thor movies and maybe Jojo Rabbit, definitely worth taking a look at his his previous movies. And in that vein, we wanted to at least each run down our individual top threes. Um, we won't rank all seven of his movies, but just our top three. And say just a little bit about why those are some of our favorites. And we'll touch on some of those things we already talked about earlier um, as far as what we've seen evolution-wise and what are some of those style things that we like. We'd love to hear any of yours if you're listening and you interact with us on Twitter or even on Facebook or on Instagram. Um, Let us know some of your favorite Taika Waititi movies. Even Creston uh, said it's cool. His, His Twitter handle, if you have Twitter, is at Creston Erickson. That's K-R-E-S-T-E-N-E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, uh, that if you want to tell us anything about those things or what you've heard about Taika Waititi or, or if you go and watch one of these other movies and you're like, oh my gosh, the guys at Robo Tours, they're so right about everything and you want to let us know, uh, do that. But we'll start here with uh, Creston running down his top three uh, favorite Taika Waititi movies as far as the ones that he directed. Okay, so for number three, I have a five-way tie. I know how you feel about ties, so I have an honorable mention before I get to number three. It's for the movie Boy. Um, I didn't see this movie until like a year ago, so it was kind of one of his earlier movies, but a more recent watch for me. Um, I found this one to be quite a bit sadder than his other movies. Um, I think it leans much more into the bittersweet. There's still a lot of comedic elements, but it tells, a, I think, a pretty sad story about a boy whose father is absent and just doesn't feel like he fits in, and he's living in some pretty rough conditions. Um, I think it's a really powerful movie that I don't know a lot of people who have seen it. I think it's really worth watching. Um, and I think... That's a, I think it's a good one to see if you want to see more of Taika kind of juggle those those tones of the sadness and happiness, the humor and the bittersweet, um, and even you know see him lean maybe more into the the more tragic. So that's the, my shout out for Boy. Um, so my number three is the movie What We Do in the Shadows. Um, this is the two thousand. Uh, documentary about vampire roommates um i think this one is a great example of his humor i just saw this one i think it was also like a year ago um i love that it's set in new zealand there's a lot of specific new zealand jokes and humor that i think that i think are really great um i don't know if i mentioned this but i i lived in the south pacific uh, briefly in, in tonga which is relatively close to new zealand there's lots of people from new zealand that live there or you know live back and forth between um, new zealand and tonga so it's fun to see something that reminded me of a place that I couldn't really find anywhere else. I don't think there are really any um, Tongan directors in Hollywood, so Taika kind of filled that, filled that void for me. Um, I love the silly costumes. I love the silly voices. There's just like, it just leans into the silliness. Some of the comparison I thought of recently was like, almost like kind of Muppet-like, 
I even saw this in like Thor Love and Thunder. There's almost like a Jim Henson sensibility sometimes where it's just like crazy silly but still like an earnestness where it doesn't lose what it's grounded to. And then I think the contrast between the mundane and the magical is, is really fun. Like, you know, roommates squabbling over who's doing chores, but the roommates are vampires and the dishes are covered in blood. And they haven't done the dishes in 300 years because they're immortal vampires. I, I just think the jokes really work. It's really short and it's it just doesn't take anything seriously, but I think it's, it's very, very fun and does something that I, I don't think a lot of movies do. And I think... Uh, you had mentioned to us earlier that a lot of it was ad-libbed as well. Like, yeah, it's a project that Jemaine Clement and Taika Waititi co-directed and, and co-wrote, but I, I, I think what they said is they just like filmed hours and hours and hours of just kind of like ad-libbing. I, they said that they wouldn't really tell people like what was going on in scenes and just would kind of see what happened and then edited it down to like, you know, 90 minutes. So I think... I don't know how much of that is just like them kind of, you know, telling the lore around them. <laughs> it really was more scripted, but I, I, you can feel that when you watch it, the nice. kind of looseness of it. Nice. So my number two, we've talked about this a little bit, is Jojo Rabbit. Again, I think this movie does a really good job juxtaposing tragedy and humor in ways that I know that, that some people found uh, controversial. Um, going into it, I, know, I knew that it had more mixed reactions than some of his other movies. Um, but I, I really, really enjoyed it, and I was glad that when award season came around, it, it still was recognized. Um, I think what really drew me in is um, there's a very human story at the core of it that is really relatable, even when there are events going on in the movie that are just completely unimaginable for me. Um, the relationship between Jojo and Elsa, I think, is, is very, very sweet, and the way that Elsa is able to change Jojo's perspective on just a whole group of people, and really his outlook on the world in general, I think, is very powerful. And like, I think, the best of Taika Waititi, it's just very, very human, and there's just this emotional core at it that I think just resonates really, really powerful for me. Um, I also think he uses humor really well in this movie, um, at humor for catharsis, but also using it as a way to get to the truth. Uh, we were talking about this a little bit together, how... Um, the Nazis and Germany at the time are, are viewed very satirically, but I think also sometimes he's just trying to kind of show things how they were and let the ridiculousness of what was actually happening speak for itself. And I've heard him in interviews talk about that where, you know, there's the scene where they, I think it's the Gestapo come in and they're all Hitler for like <laughs> minutes. He's, I listened to him like break down that scene. It was like a YouTube video, and he's like, "I just thought about like how ridiculous that would be if you had to do that every time." You saw everybody. Like, like you wouldn't have time for anything else. So, just like, I think examining a philosophy and just kind of deconstructing it and saying, "Look how ridiculous this is." And um, so, I think he uses humor really effectively, effectively as um, kind of a tool to deconstruct really uh, dangerous ideologies. Um, so my number one, um, we haven't really talked about this a ton yet, is uh, The Hunt for the Wilder People. This was the second movie I saw of his. I saw Thor Ragnarok first, and I didn't really know much about his style. And then I had some friends who I lived in Tonga with say, hey, you got to see this movie, Hunt for the Wilder People. It's great. They have, like, New Zealand accents and all the sling that we learned. And so I watched it for that, and it was really fun to, like, be reminded of, like, a home away from home. But... 
I've watched it more and more, and I, I think this one gets better the more you watch it. The chemistry between the two leads, uh, Sam Neill from uh, Jurassic Park fame, right? He's in Jurassic Park? Yeah, yeah. And Julian Dennison now, who's in a bunch of stuff. He was like... He's in Deadpool 2. This is the one that I remember. But he's hilarious. The performance between those, like, with those two and their chemistry is is just really magical and the like you really feel like they care about each other a specific scene for me that i think is just like so emotional is when uh, hector writes a haiku for um ricky at the end and just that that human bond between them just really it feels real it feels lived in and nuanced and i i, it, I it's very very powerful um yeah, and just all, all the New Zealand actors around it, like Rachel House is in there again, and um, I, I, just the Kiwi sensibility all, of all of it, I think, is, is great. I, yeah, it, it makes you laugh, it makes you cry, it, not afraid to let, lean into the bittersweet and the, the tragedy, um, but it still feels hopeful, um, and I, I feel inspired every time I watch it. That's awesome. Those are my top three. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, no ties here. I can't believe anyone ever did ties. I think it was yeah. Jake who was always doing ties. Yeah. Just Notorious. <laughs> Notorious. Oh, man. And yeah, Creston talked about the bittersweetness, the, the ambiguity, uh, which is on another hallmark of what Taika Waititi does, is uh, because it's so human, like Creston mentioned, because he has that human element, he leans into, yeah, humanity, life. Survival, it's all the things. And he's like held on to that as he's gone involved with even larger movies. For yeah, sure. for sure. Yeah, Ragnarok and Love and Thunder have a lot of elements of that. While you may say, oh, they have a happy ending, and that's totally valid. And you could argue that about most of his movies. But there's always like a melancholy that balances with that happiness and sometimes an ambiguity that we're not even 100% sure what might happen next. And that's what being a human is. But I found that that works really well. Just yesterday, when we watched Jojo Rabbit, watched it with my two daughters for the first time, and my wife and my my older daughter said, "Like, oh man, I was I was laughing one minute and then I was crying the next minute." And it actually took a lot of explaining for my nine year old to just kind of help her to understand like the tone here with Jojo Rabbit is like not everything is serious at the same time. A lot of this happened. Um, you know, Hitler's imaginary in this, in this, and we're not supposed to take him seriously, you know, as far as being the person that you should actually listen to and stuff. And, and my daughter, she's smart, but we still wanted to make sure that she kind of understood that. But it's another, it's a testament to him just allowing all of that messiness with, with life. Okay, I'm going to do my top three in reverse order just because my third is ever so slightly more surprising, I guess. And uh, Creston just mentioned my top two. My number one is Jojo Rabbit, um, uh, the the most uh, Oscar nominations and of course Oscar wins for Taika Waititi. Um, it was I just rewatched it after not having seen it since it was in the theaters. It's really sure-handed in understanding that it's going to wildly move from tone to tone. But when I say wildly, that's almost the wrong adjective because it so cleverly shifts from tone to tone. Each humorous part with a reason each tragic part. And there's the juxtaposition of the tragedy in this one for me is the most, uh, not glaring, but is the most, I mean, glaring works. It's the biggest shifts, the most contrasting. And maybe uh, these guys disagree, but 
Joe Girard, there's just a couple times where you're like, holy cow, like, like that to that. Thing on the yeah. Side, for sure. Yeah, more extreme. Um, and yet, I just feel like it's it's so, it's moving. It's the a look at Nazi Germany that, I, that I, it's been done so often because it's compelling and because it's a, it's a big part of both the depths and the heights that humanity can hit. And I felt like I'd never seen anything really like it before, with the exception of some parts of Life is Beautiful, Roberto Benigni's movie from the late 90s, um, where there's like some comedic stuff there. But that one, I feel like when you watch it now, even though I still like it, 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 it doesn't work quite as well. There's some stuff that like feels a little more manufactured. And Jojo Rabbit, because it looks so great, because it's so well-directed, because the actors and actresses are so good, the music cues are so great, and he's so sure, like, this is the movie I want to make. It's going to tell the story of, satirically, but honestly, of living in that time. Uh, it just, it, for me, it just works so well. My number two, Hunt for the Wilder People. Crescent eloquently just described everything that I like about it. I don't feel like I have a lot to add there. Um, the performances are great. That was probably the one where I really understood what Taika Waititi does as a storyteller and a filmmaker and a director. Um, and the one that I think we, we, we agree fairly, fairly consistently here uh, among the three of us that is the one that should be introduced if someone's like, what? I've never seen any of these movies. Like, start with this one because it hits all of the things that Taika Waititi does so well. Um, and I showed, that's another one I watched with my kids a while back and, and was excited to see that we could watch it together and kind of really uh, relate to the, to, to the different characters, even at all of our different ages. And then my number three, which uh, would have been surprising if I didn't already tell these guys earlier, uh, is Thor Love and Thunder, which I just liked better than most people that I've talked to. Um, and I've, I said in an, an earlier conversation um, that I didn't know why so many people preferred uh, Ragnarok to Love and Thunder because I thought that they did mostly the same things. Um, I'll, I'll let Jake later uh, talk because <laughs> he was one of those people that I, I would, well, that was a conversation we had even before today because last time we, we met, we talked a little bit about uh, Thor Love and Thunder and I could tell, oh, like, oh yeah, Jake was one of those people that liked Ragnarok a lot more than Love and Thunder. Because when I watched it, I thought like, yeah, it's doing all the same things, just doing them better. And for me, with more resonance, that's the thing that like, I think, again, and I'm just speaking for myself, that that Marvel movies, which I've seen almost all of and really enjoy, fall just short of for me normally, is like a resonance that moves outside of, oh, I like this happy ending. You told the clever story to like, oh, I'm actually kind of applying this to interesting things outside of the comic book sensibility. And the only movies I really think have done that, again, personally, Black Panther, because Ryan Coogler is such a great director and, and so um, thoughtfully handled issues of race in America in, in Black Panther. And then you could probably make an argument for Endgame just because there was so much wrapped, so many movies wrapped up into Endgame. Really the only other one for me that's on that list is Love and Thunder. The way that uh, Taika Waititi's script handled kind of the dual um, the parallel stories of Jane Foster and Gore, uh, Jane Foster played by Natalie Portman, Gore played by Christian Bale, I thought gave us a ton of resonance at the end. And for me, the best, for my money, the best direction that Taika Waititi has, has ever done as far as visual style 
and and understanding the way that cinematography can add levels. I was I was impressed by multiple shots in it that seemed like they were more than oh Taika Waititi is a fun director who can edit well and tell a story to like oh we're actually moving into some visual style here. So I and 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 I'll admit that when I went to see Love and Thunder, uh, most people said it wasn't very good or that they didn't really like it. But that played in. I had lowered expectations and then it was like oh what. And like, like I mentioned earlier, like literally looked at my family and was like, we all thought that was better than Ragnarok, right? And everyone's like, yeah. And I was like, what? You know? And so it took me a while till some conversations with Jake to really get like why people had seen it as a, a lesser product than Ragnarok. So that's my third. Uh, uh, Thor: Love and Thunder. We'll often like text about movies, and I haven't I haven't texted you yet about Thor: Love and Thunder, and I'm glad that that you like it because I really enjoyed it as well, and I. I wish it was getting more love because I think yeah. I did a really good job. Um, so I'm, I'm glad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, me as well. Me as well. And now Jake, Jake, uh, well, your top three as well. And then afterwards, you know, I'll do what I like to do: recap the ones that have made it on all of our our lists. And of course, again, we'd love to hear from you, especially if you disagree mightily with a the take. Then we can get some of that passion in social media. Okay. Um, my third favorite Taika movie is What We Do in the Shadows. Um, so I uh, agree with Creston there. I think it's um, probably the funniest maybe of all the movies because that's all it focuses on really um, is humor. That That is probably the one that doesn't really try to balance anything more serious. It's it's pure fun and silliness the entire time uh, and funny its entire runtime, I think. So uh, I also am partially including it here just because I, I also really appreciate what it began with uh, the show that followed. That's one of my favorites. Um, and I just really appreciate the commitment to the bit, which is really what that movie is um, the entire time. See, uh, my uh, number two is Thor Ragnarok. Um, so I, I am in the camp that I, I enjoy Ragnarok more than Love and Thunder. Um, to me, it was a really significant departure from what had become... I mean, I'm always talking about how Marvel movies are becoming stale to me, but every once in a while one invigorates me a little bit, and, and Ragnarok did that for me. Um, because of the humor um, and because of just its willingness to put a total spin on what a hero had been previously in the MCU, I really liked that they kind of, uh, that Taika put a new brand on Thor, really, um, which I, I thought was really effective and works better for the character, in my opinion. Um, and I, I thought it was just a really tight uh, script overall, um, accomplished what it needed to, and um, yeah, so really love Ragnarok. With with Love and Thunder, uh, I, uh, just you had mentioned earlier that it was the script that really, did you want to elaborate yeah. on that just a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the reason that I, I didn't appreciate Love and Thunder as much is I was really just there for the jokes in Love and Thunder um, by the end because I thought it was still really funny. But to me, um, the the uh, script just didn't, it didn't work for me. I don't, the, the themes, um, to me, they felt hollow and it felt like the movie was more just kind of pieced together rather than um, telling a meaningful story. But I'm really glad that for you guys, the theme. <laughs> yeah, like it was one of those movies just where I sat there and I was like, I wish this was hitting me, but it, it's just not really. But I'm glad I have the funny jokes still. So, um, yeah. So my favorite Taika movie is A Hunt for the Wilder People. Um, which, by the way, we, have, we didn't really talk about this um, in any of our conversations. But uh, I did notice that this one, um, it seemed to kind of be maybe his first break into the mainstream because... 
I actually never saw this movie until watching it for this episode, but I still remember people, even people who don't really get into like indie films and things like that, telling me to see this movie back when it came out. Um, and, and it was kind of an indie release, but I, yeah, I remember noticing, I think like even like my parents and just like a couple friends who we normally don't talk about movies were like, have you heard about this Hunt for the Wilder People? And uh, I wish I'd seen it back then so that I could be rewatching it all these years because I think it's, to me, it's his best movie, obviously, putting it at my number one. I think it's the best representation of all the things he does well with the humor and the heart um, and the performances he gets out of his actors and the uh, characters that are more complex than you would expect when you first meet them. Um, I think that's all there. You laugh, you cry, there's t uh, intense action sequences. Um, it's. I just think it's his most well-rounded movie. Intense accent sequences as well. Accent <laughs> sequences. Yeah. Number one. Yeah, and so obviously with that, which uh, doesn't really surprise me that much when we look at our three lists, Hunt for the Wilder People is the only one that showed up on all three. And and I was I I once I heard obviously Crescent say Jojo Rabbit. I did wonder because I don't know that we talked that extensively about Jojo Rabbit. That was the one I was wondering would show up on Jake's. But Jake and I also made the spot for one each of the two Thor movies. But you got Jojo twice and what we do in the shadows twice as well. Which, again, if you're talking about the things that, like he's, you've got Hunt for the Wilder People, like we said, hey, that would be the thing you'd want to see first. You've got the silly and what we do in the shadows. And then the more like uh, Oscar Beatty, I guess, in, in Jojo Rabbit. So those things do kind of represent some, you know, the various, the various, um, What's the uh, pillars of Taika Waititi? Um, so before we go, uh, just for you out there that, that uh, are listening, first of all, thank you. Um, we, we put our hearts into this, um, even though, you know, it's the six of you that listen out there. <laughs> and we really appreciate it. And Creston's here, so it's only five of you. It's only five of you out there that are listening. Also, this is my parents. Yes. Yes, um, uh, we. For those of you who do listen, we're we're gonna try to hit Jordan Peele next uh, and talk about his three movies: Get Out, Us, and um, uh, Nope. And we didn't even. I didn't even. I forgot on this one to say we're missing Eric. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Eric, we love you. And uh, I, I mean, yeah, we've had a little some recording issues today, but uh, uh, we miss Eric. It's my fault that Eric's not here because I recast Eric with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had to record a little bit earlier, but I did want to ask uh, these gentlemen before we go with 100% spontaneity. They had no idea this is coming. Um, just for fun, your favorite Taika Waititi performance, because he has been in uh, multiple things that he's not actually, that he didn't actually direct. He's in all the things that, you know, that he directs. Um, and I, I was a little less than impressed when they used him in Free Guy, because it seemed like they kind of, he didn't get to be as free as normal and kind of hit a lot of beats, which we hope doesn't happen to him in the future. We hope he continues as a director. So what would you say, we'll start with Creston, is your favorite performance that he's given as an actor? Just before we leave. I think for me, it would have to be Korg. Um, I love the really exaggerated New Zealand accent he does. And I've seen interviews where he said he based it off of like these, you know, huge Polynesian guys in New Zealand who are like bouncers, but like really soft-spoken and gentle. Like, I, I love that with Korg. It, like, reminds me of a bunch of guys that I knew in the South Pacific that were, like, just like that. And so I think, you know, it's a caricature, but I think he does it really well, and I think it fits those movies perfectly. Um, if I had an honorable mention, it, it might honestly be the 
the priest scene in um, Hunt for the Wilder People. I think it's it's really short. It's one of his shorter cameos, but I think it's... I don't know, it, it's at the, the funeral... Well, the funeral for a character. I don't want to spoil it if you're going to see it. And so it's a really sad scene, but he, he does some really silly and strange stuff in that, that moment. So I... Uh, That'd be my honorable mention, but I, I always love when he shows up in his movies. I think he is able to, you know, even add his, even more of his voice when he shows up. Nice. Jake? Korg! <laughs> uh, yeah, Korg literally, I think, my favorite character across the entire MCU. Like, that's how much I love Korg, so. He's so funny. Uh, it's Korg for me, too. It, uh, we did not talk about that prior to recording today. Um, it's, it's the actor. He has some great moments, too, and, uh, Thor Love and Thunder. I love that he ends up with somebody named Dwayne. Yeah, which everyone in my theater cracked up at, and it took me like five seconds. You're, like, You're laughing harder than, oh, okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Because it was like a huge laugh, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is funny. But why are we, got it. Like, it took me a second. Yeah, he's so great, and a great, yeah, great, great, great character. And then uh, for me, yeah, runner-up is Hitler, just because Hitler is so absurd and silly, and laugh-addable. Um, and it's important to the movie, and then he gave himself that role of, oh, yeah, I'm going to be Hitler. <laughs> yeah, he said that he like didn't want to do any research for that role, because he's like, this guy doesn't deserve it, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. Like, yeah, that's I'm, awesome. You know, I've, I've seen like videos of him every once in a while, I'll just do like you know something exaggerated, I'll kind of be myself, and it, it fits, I think, the whole kind of ethos of that movie perfectly. Yeah. And if you want to go back and see Taika Waititi in a thing that kind of sums up everything we've talked about, the very end of Boy, his movie from 2010, they do a haka uh, that's to Thriller. And it really kind of sums up the way that Taika Waititi brings together, like, indigeneity, the word that you used earlier, like, imbues things with both his background and, uh, you know, nostalgia for old things and pop culture, and then in ways that are unexpected and interesting. Uh, probably online somewhere on YouTube or something. But anyway, we like Taika Waititi. He's awesome. We would, if we had to, we would record multiple times <laughs> if we had to about Taika Waititi just well, to make only sure. If we had to. Only <laughs> if we had to, uh, we would record again. We'd record this one more time if we had to. Um, talk about him forever. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks for having me. Bye.